Thank you, Jen. We're going to begin this morning with a video clip, so let's watch that together. Do you want to come sailing with me on my friend George's boat? <laughs> no. Oh, that's okay. You don't have to. No, I'd love to. Uh, <laughs> it sounds great. Uh, I, I've never been on a boat, and I don't think I can handle it. <laughs> it just makes my lips numb to think about it. But if your friend is a good sailor and the craft is seaworthy, yes, I will go sailing. Yeah, let's go sailing. I have no other plans. I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Speak to you, please. Dr. Marvin. Dr. Marvin, guess what? Ahoy! I sail. I'm a sailor. I sail. I'd like to talk to my daughter alone. But isn't this a breakthrough? I mean, that I'm a sailor? I sail? I, I sail now? Keep sailing, Bob. <laughs> Out on a boat on the lake, way far away from the dock, with the wind of the wind with the sky and everything. I didn't think I could tell that story quite as well as you could see it on the video. We'll come back to that in just a minute. I want to connect that to this passage of scripture that Jen just read for us. But I want to walk back through that passage uh, from a little different angle than what we usually work with. I'm guessing that many of you have heard this passage of scripture before. Um, you might want to have this passage in, open in front of you uh, because I'm going to come back to it in several different moments uh, during the sermon. Uh, the main reason I want to do this is that I think there's a very simple but important lesson in here for us about how it works when we follow Jesus. The sort of the how it works uh, angle or part of what it means to follow Jesus. As we walk through John 15, I want to have you think about uh, who makes the various things happen that Jesus talks about there. Um, For you English majors, what I want you to think about is who is the subject of the verbs in John 15. And if English was, was back in high school for you, think about who is doing the action in the verbs. That's who the subject is. Um, and I want to suggest to you that as you go through here, there are two main subjects, two, uh, two people or two beings doing the action. One is God or Jesus, and the other is us. And so as we walk through, I want to think about which of these verbs are things that God does and which are things that we do. So it, according to Jesus, as we look at John 15, he starts out by saying, I'm the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. So he's giving us a word picture and saying, imagine, use this to understand something about following me. Imagine that I'm like a grapevine and my father is the gardener who cares for this grapevine. He says, he cuts off, God cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. So here are two, two actions that God takes. Jesus says God cuts off dead branches, basically, and he prunes live branches. Then he says in verse 2, you've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. So Jesus has already done this kind of shaping for them. Verse 4, he says, remain in me. Here's something for you to do, for you, an action for you to take. Remain in me. I will remain in you. 
So we're going to do something. Jesus is going to do something. We're going to remain in him. He's going to remain in us. For a branch cannot bear fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And then he, he says again, yes, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them. So he's echoing this again. If you remain in me and I remain in you, then you are uh, connected to me as a branch is connected to its vine. Then he says, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. In other words, you will produce much fruit. That's something for you to do as you remain in me. <clears throat> the producing of fruit is something that you're going to do. Uh, footnote here, uh, we, we, lots of conversation about what fruit is as we talk about it in the Bible. Um, usually it's, some, it's one of a number of different things. Uh, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. What he's talking about there is just the results of the Holy Spirit being present and at work within us. He says these are the kinds of things that you'll see that are the, the evidence, I guess you would say, or the results of the Holy Spirit's presence and work in someone, the fruit of the Spirit. We also talk about fruit as being um, new believers, people who come to Christ because of what they see in our lives. Jen prayed about that in her prayer, that, that other people would see who, how different we are in Christ. And so one of the other definitions of fruit would be new believers. Other places in the New Testament, overcoming sin is talked about as a result of the Holy Spirit's presence and work. So lots of different ways that we can bear fruit. Continuing in verse five, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, there we are again, another thing, echoing, remain in me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, we're back to that again, that action. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. Verse um, nine, he says, I have loved you. Here's something Jesus has done. I have loved you even as my father has loved me. Remain in my love. Remain in my love. He's now said that three or four times. I have loved you even as my father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, joy will, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. And he has another action for us to take. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. What he says is longer than would fit in the space we have for it in the slide. But he says, love each other in the way I've loved you. There is no greater love, he says, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. No, you are, now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. An action that Jesus has taken. I chose you. I appointed you. I appointed you to take the following actions. To go and bear lasting fruit. Echoing again what he just said a moment ago. I chose you, I appointed you to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Another action for us to take. I wanted to show you this on the slide and walk through this because it sounds to me like God is doing some of these things, some of the work, and we are doing some of the things, some of the work. 
So God is at work, but we also have work to do as we follow Jesus. We might say that God enables us or God empowers us. God gives us the ability, but we have to follow. We have to step into what he's given us. Because the truth is that God doesn't usually change us. Well, God doesn't save us either against our will or without our, our, our participation. Just like he doesn't save us without us saying yes to him, he doesn't change us without our saying yes to him either. The power and the grace of God are what make it possible for us to change. But that's, that doesn't take effect without our active involvement, without us receiving it and stepping into it. So we might say that God calls and we answer. That God leads and we follow. That God acts and we respond. Or God initiates and we cooperate. There's always a two-step nature to following Jesus. So is God responsible for our transformation? Absolutely, yes. Or are we responsible for our transformation? Yes, in the sense that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We cooperate with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So God is not the only one responsible for our transformation, but we're also not the only ones responsible for our transformation. Following Jesus is something we do in the power and by the grace of God. Following Jesus is something we do in the power and by the grace of God at work in our lives. Jesus says three times in this passage that we can't do anything without his power. In verse four, he says, a branch, just like a a branch can't produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So he gives us that image. He says, just like if you're pruning your, your, your vine, you cut off the branch, it's not going to produce any more fruit. The same thing is true for you. You can't bear, be, be fruitful unless you remain in me. Verse uh, five, he says, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And in verse seven, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Implying that if you don't, if not, if you don't remain in me, then you can't. It doesn't work that way if you're not remaining in me. So I think a really big question, an important question for us to ask, those of us who care about following Jesus or trying to take that serious in our lives, is how do we do that? It's clear here that he said many times, remain in me, remain in me. But how do you do that? What does that mean? Well, this is one of the passages of scripture where Jesus is ab- crystal clear about what he means. Because what he says in verse 10 is, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Very simple. You remain in my love by obeying my commandments. For those of you who like simple, clean answers, there you have one. What, what does it mean to remain in me? It means to obey his commandments. Just as he said, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. So essentially he's saying, you've seen me obey my father's commandments and that's how I've remained in my father's love. And I want you to reflect that in your own lives by obeying me, uh, by obeying my commandments and thereby remain remaining in my love. Just like I've been remaining in the father's love. And what are his commandments? Okay, so we say, well, okay, obey my commandments. What is his commandment? Well, again, he's very clear in this particular passage and he repeats himself. In verse 12, he says, this is my commandment 
love each other in the same way I have loved you. This is, this is the commandment I'm going to ask you, I'm telling you to obey. I'm asking you to obey if you want to remain in me. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. And in verse 17, he echoes that. He says, my, this is my command, love each other. Just very clear here. This is why the second uh, phrase of our mission statement is loving each other. It comes directly from this passage of scripture. And Jesus says, when you obey me by loving each other as I have loved you, you are remaining in me. It's as simple as that. So our call to follow Jesus, our call as followers of Jesus is to obey him by loving each other, to see good fruit emerge in our lives as we cooperate with God's transforming initiative, as we cooperate with God's transforming power, as we can cooperate with God's transforming grace in our lives. Pastor John Ortberg once wrote, spiritual transformation is a long-term endeavor It involves both God and us. It's like, he says, I liken it to crossing an ocean. Some people try day after day to be good, to be spiritually mature. They're trying hard. He said, it's like like rowing a rowboat across an ocean. Rowing a rowboat across an ocean. Maybe you would think of it, rowing a, a rowboat across the ocean of our failures and our weaknesses. And he says, it's exhausting And usually unsuccessful. How many people do you know who've rowed a boat the whole way across an ocean? Not too many. This is the kind of person who's thinking it's all up to me. It's all up to my effort. And I've got to make it happen. Ortberg says others have given up trying and they, they throw themselves entirely on relying on God's grace. I want God to do it. I just can't do it. So I want God to do everything. He said it's, uh, they're like drifters on a raft who are expecting to cross the ocean on a raft and just saying, this is going to get to the other side if God wants it to. God, God can make it happen. They do nothing but hang on and hope that God gets them there. This is the person who's thinking it's all up to God's power. But Ortberg says, neither trying harder nor drifting are effective in bringing about spiritual transformation. A far better image is a sailboat. You were wondering how I was going to get back to sailing, right? A better image is a sailboat, which can only move when the wind is blowing. It only moves forward when there's a wind. It's movement, he says, is a gift from the wind. We can't control the wind, but a good sailor can sense where the winds are coming from, can tell, and adjusts the sails accordingly to move the craft forward, to move the sailboat forward. Working with the Holy Spirit, which Jesus likened to the wind in John 3, means that we have a part in discerning the winds of the Holy Spirit the way the wind of the Holy Spirit is blowing in our lives, knowing the direction we need to go and then adjusting our sails to catch the breezes that God provides in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's true transformation. God in the person of the Holy Spirit provides the power and we cooperate by adjusting our sails so we can move forward in this journey of following Jesus. And then we can say, like our character in the video, I'm sailing I'm sailing. I'm a sailor. I'm a sailor. Did you see me sailing? Because the Holy Spirit is the wind in our sails. The Holy Spirit is the wind that moves us forward. You may be thinking, if my spiritual life is a sailboat, I don't don't even want to steer. I don't want that much responsibility. I'm worried that I'll mess it up or that I'll pollute the process in some way. I want God to just completely take over, even if I am a sailboat. And you know what? That does sound righteous, 
And it sounds like the right thing to say, but it is not biblical. It does not line up with what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus calls us to bear much fruit. You don't bear a lot of fruit by just floating around on a raft, letting, thinking that he's going to do everything. God does not want us to be inactive, unthinking, just blobs that he, like robots that he, he just pushes the buttons for. <clears throat> he wants to transform us from the inside out so that we can function in constructive and godly ways to be thinking in clear and biblically sound ways and to bear much fruit. That's one of the, one of the points of John 15. I want you to bear much fruit. I think usually when we say we, we want, we, when we say, God, you do it, we say, God, I want you to do all of it. I think often what we mean is that we don't want, we don't want to have to do hard things. We don't want to have to do hard things or make hard choices that make us uncomfortable or that stretch us out of our comfort zones. We don't want to have to say no to ourselves. But I want to tell you, I'm sorry to say that if, if, you're, if what you're struggling with is wasting too much time by watching television, for example, I don't think God is going to turn off the television. He's not going to kick you off the couch. He'll give you the power to do it, but you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to push the, the button to turn the TV off, and you're going to have to exercise your, your muscles in your body to stand up and walk away. If your struggle is with uh, something like sexual temptation and your prayer is, God, just make it vanish. Just take away that whole part of me. That, God's not going to answer that prayer in the way you're asking. God will give you the power to do that, but you're going to have to take action on a daily basis to turn away from it, making hard choices to turn away from something that you're struggling with. If you're struggling with alcohol or some other substance, God's not going to vaporize the thing in your hand. God's not going to set the bottle down or whatever it is. God's not going to knock it out of your hand. He'll give you the power to do it and the grace to do it. But you're going to have to be the one to exercise that strength and get some help. If you know that your problem is your gossiping tongue and you just say, oh, Lord, just make it stop. I just can't stop it. He's not going to answer that prayer the way what you're asking either. He'll give you the power, the capacity to do it, but you're going to be, have to be the one who takes daily steps, hard steps to keep your mouth shut when you otherwise would have made a point of updating your friends on all the latest. The same with fear or anxiety. And you say, Lord, please take this away from me. God will give you the grace. God will give you the strength, but it will be things you have to hold on to and make decisions to turn away from on a daily basis. That's why I'm saying that following Jesus is something that we do, but in the power and by the grace of God. Just like Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, but I want you to bear much fruit. Paul actually echoes this in a very specific way in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, dear friends, you have always followed my instruction. You always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard, he says, to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Work hard and obey God. In the, in the New International Version, the more familiar phrasing is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think this is a little cleaner, a little easier to hold on to here. Work hard Obeying God sounds like something, it sounds like a rowboat, right? Sounds like something I'm going to do. 
But what does he say in verse 13? Work hard obeying God, for God is working in you. Work hard because God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power. We've heard that word before this morning. God's going to give you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So that's why Paul says work hard. Not because it's up to you, but because God is working in you. So cooperate with what God is doing. You may be more familiar with this verse in the NIV, in the New International. It says, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. But again, I think this is a little cleaner, a little more concrete. Work hard. Obey God, for God is at work within you to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Following Jesus is something we do in the power and by the grace of God. Now, I want to put a little footnote in here, too, uh, for the perfectionists among us who are tempted toward perfectionism, and that is that realize that if sailing is a useful metaphor, a useful, a useful picture, we don't usually go to our destination in sailing by going straight toward it. I mean, if you're lucky and the wind is pointed exactly where you want to go, maybe, but usually it doesn't work out that way. Your destination isn't usually the way exactly the wind is blowing. And so what you end up having to do in a sailboat is what's called tacking. Or you call it zigzagging <laughs> for the amateur and the non-sailing. You call it, because you have to sail this way, and then, you, and then you have to turn and go back this way. And you go back that way. My point is simply that I think if, if this is a useful metaphor, I think it means that God can be patient with our mistakes. God doesn't expect us to never make a mistake and to make an absolute beeline for our transformation. God expects us to turn away when we're, when we're making a mistake, when we're off course, and the Holy Spirit says, oh, oh let's, I'm, uh, he's inviting us to make a turn. Okay, it's time to tack. Time to go back toward the center line. So the journey of transformation may be one of, that looks a little bit more like this, but we're headed toward the destination that God calls us to of transformation. I'm gonna tell you one of my favorite stories of people who did something astonishing because they cooperated with the power of God at work within them. I discovered this uh, story during COVID season because it had relevance there and I'm still inspired by it. This story comes from 1665 when the black plague, the bubonic plague uh, broke out again. Uh, this had happened over hundreds of years in Europe, but uh, it broke out again in a fresh way in a, in a village in North Central England called Ayam. E-Y-A-M, if you want to look it up. A-M uh, was a village of no more than 800 people, probably something like uh, five to 600 people at this time in 1665. The, the plague, when it came to their town, first claimed the life of the tailor, but it quickly spread to his family and to his neighbors. And the first impulse of most people in A-M was exactly what your impulse would be, which would be to what? Get out of town, right? Get out of town, the problem was that nobody really knew. They didn't know how it was transmitted, so nobody knew who, was effect, who, who had already been infected by it. But they did know that the villages and towns around them had not yet seen an outbreak of the plague. So as far as they knew, it was only in the village of Aem. And so what that meant was that if they all fled Aem, everybody who thought they were still healthy, they risked spreading this contagion to all of the towns and villages around them and the possibility of an outbreak in their whole region. So the minister in that town, the Anglican minister, persuaded the people of Aem to stay put and not to flee in order to prevent the plague from spreading to the towns and villages around them. Even though they knew 
that many of them would die. They knew that agreeing to what he was asking of them meant that many of them would die as they laid down their lives for their friends and their neighbors. The people of Aam agreed to do that, um, quarantining themselves until the disease had passed. And they put a, a ring of stones around the village. There's, we have a picture of one here. There was a ring of these stones around the village of Aam. And what would happen is people from other villages would bring food and other supplies up to this ring of stones and leave it there. So the people of Aam could go out and get the food and supplies they need. But it was also a ring that they knew not, that they had agreed not to cross. And their, the neighboring uh, villagers knew not to cross in the other direction. In Aam that, that year, they held their worship services outside. They were social distancing back in 1665. Uh, and sadly, it took a whole year, a whole year for the plague to spend itself in the village of Aam. In 1665, the the suffering was terrible. More than 250 people died, including the wife of the minister who had persuaded the people to stay. There's one woman whose name was Elizabeth Hancock who buried her husband and all six of her children who died within eight days of each other. As I said, the suffering was terrible. There were other families that were, the whole family was wiped out. About half of the villagers died that year. But the brave and the courageous people of Aam stood together and prevented the spread of the plague to the people around them. And I think uh, the, the question for us today as we think about God at work within us, the question is, did God make them do that? Did God inter- intervene and prevent them from leaving their village? No. And on the other side, was quarantining themselves such an obvious and terrific idea that they all immediately agreed to it and they said, well, of course that's what we'll do. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they followed the command and the example of the Lord Jesus in the power and by the grace of God at work among them. What a clear example of the self-sacrificing love of Jesus who said in our passage This morning in verse 11, he says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the way I have loved you. They're obeying that command. Exactly. Love each other in the way I have loved you. And then he says, verse 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Or... For this story, we might say there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's neighbors. What was Jesus' commandment? Love each other in the way I have loved you. That's my commandment to you. That's how you remain in me. Jesus did that for us when he died on the cross. The people of Aam did that when faced with the plague. There's still a village of Aam in England, and there's still a church there. You saw a photo of it. That's the church what it, as it looks like today. The present-day minister in that church recently said it was definitely the hope of heaven that kept the people going back in 1665, Go, kept them going in the face of incredible fear, unimaginable uncertainty, and a mounting death toll. It was definitely the hope of heaven. Their trust in the Lord Jesus and in his promises, the one who called them to Love each other in the way I have loved you. 
following Jesus is something we do in the power and by the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is at work within us, molding us and shaping us to be more and more like Jesus if if we will cooperate with him. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 2, work hard, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work hard to bear much fruit, we might say, obeying God, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And he's doing that one day at a time, one step at a time, one gust of wind at a time. And his invitation to us is just to cooperate with that, to cooperate with that process. So are you, are you a rower? <laughs> are, you, are you trying to do it all in your own strength? Are you, are you a rower? Or are you a drifter, a raft person? Just thinking God's going to make it happen by magic. I, I don't want to make hard choices. God's going to do all that work for me. Or are you sailing? Are you sailing? Are you living in the joy and the challenge of cooperating with, of adjusting to the wind of the Holy Spirit in your sails? I want to tell you, I think the Holy Spirit is inviting all of us to go sailing with him, (laughs) to go sailing with him, following Jesus in the power and by the grace of God. Lord Jesus,